This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning. How did you sleep? I'm Kathy Buckworth, the go-to grandma, here to wake you up with our sleep special episode. Yes, I'm calling this one simply Z. That's a bunch of Zs or Zs, depending on where you're listening to me from. One thing we probably all have in common is that we regularly struggle with getting enough sleep. I'm so happy to have friend of the show, author and counselor Ralph Ben Mergy back this week to talk to me about the sleep state. What is it? And how do we get there? He'll share some helpful meditations which might send you to see the Sandman. Maybe you think your nightly sleep gets disrupted because you nap. I am not a napper. My dad was and my husband is. They are both early risers and it always annoyed me when they would be virtuous about getting up early but then nap for a couple of hours in the afternoon. What's the difference? Well, sleep expert Alana McGinn is going to tell us about the science of napping today. Could it be I've been wrong in my criticism of the dad-granddad nap? I don't think so, but we're going to find out. Our Take 5 with RBC interview series continues as usual this week, and I guarantee it's one you won't want to sleep through as we profile their emerging artist program. Ah, coffee. I have mine. Do you have yours? You're not going to need it to stay awake for our fun and factual guests, I guarantee it. Ralph Ben Mergy is up first. Ralph Ben Mergy is the author of A Spiritual Memoir, I Thought He Was Dead. He also offers counseling for moving clients from aging to saging. He's the host of several podcasts, including Not That Kind of Rabbi. Ralph can be found at ralphbenmergy.ca. Good morning, Ralph Ben Mergy. Thanks for coming back on the show. Good morning, Kathy Buckworth. Thank you for having me. So I have to ask you, Ralph, how did you sleep last night? You know, last night was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, pretty calm, pretty good. You got to a state of sleep? (laughs) Well, no. I mean, at a certain age, you get up to go to the bathroom a couple of times a night on a good night. Right, I hear you. I actually wake up and read a couple times during the night, so I'm with you on that one. I do. I read in the night because I think otherwise I I don't want to look at my phone, correct? And I also don't want to just lie there trying to solve mine and the world's problems at two in the morning either. Yeah, but is that because you can't get back to sleep? Yeah, exactly. That's what it is for me. I don't actually have a lot of trouble falling asleep, but I'll wake up at least a couple times in the night, not to go to the bathroom, and maybe too much information, but actually, yeah, I'm just awake. So sleep is something I think that we all struggle with, right, in our own different ways. Well, the thing is, it's not an area of our life that we feel like we have control a lot of the times, right? Like you go to bed and think, I don't know what's going to (laughs) happen. It's true. Right? And it could be dreams. It could be the agitation that's buried underneath, you know, from a day or from a long-term problem that you're not really... You know, one of the things I find is the stuff that's not resolved, that we don't do something about ends up in our dreams, ends up in how we feel emotionally when we wake up. Mm -hmm. And often we go to bed, many people go to bed easily, I think, but when they wake up in the morning, sometimes they wake up feeling distressed, Mm -hmm. like they've been through something that night. So I, I feel like because we also don't take our dreams into our lives and take them seriously, they just sort of become this movie that can be a you know, a good movie or a bad movie every day. It's interesting you mentioned that in terms of dreams. If I can go down that path just a little bit for a minute. I'm not a big 
believe or I'll admit in dreams and interpreting dreams. Is this something that you think is, is quite relevant to our state of sleep and wakefulness? Well, there are cultures like the, the Inuit culture mm-hmm. where the belief is that dream world and dream life is as real and important as waking life. Hmm. But in our culture, it's seen as this sort of, I don't know, it's almost cute. Mm-hmm. I agree. You know, that you <laughs> happen to have dreams. Rarely do people write down what they've been dreaming because often it evaporates almost mm-hmm. on, on waking. But I think there's lots of feeling and and subconscious and unconscious things that are resolved by you as you sleep. And I think it'd be important to not just sort of shrug them off and go, so last, you know, last night I had a dream that I went, uh, I was supposed to walk on stage and I had no idea, I had not memorized my right. lines. Right, classic. Right? <laughs> yep. So what's that about? It's about feeling like you're in over your head, mm-hmm. feeling like you're not prepared, feeling scared of anticipatory fear about what's happening next. So then you can go, okay, so what's going on here? Like, what is it I'm really worried about, right? Mm-hmm. But instead, we sort of get up and go, oh, I had a lousy dream. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. And so if we are able to get to sleep, how do you see the sleep state? What's your impression on that? I think of it as kind of a, um, like a psychological and spiritual realm. Hmm. Carl Jung wrote a lot about dreams and just what the archetypes that show up in your dreams, the kind of characters, the recurring pieces of dreams that happen for people. You know, everybody has a dream or two that they seem to, like they're old friends to them. They show mm-hmm. up every once in a while, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, right? So for me, it's like, how do we become friends with this part of ourselves that I think in our culture, it's seen as unproductive time mm-hmm. sleep, right? It's just like, but I'm not, you know, I like to get up, I only need yep. four hours a day. Yeah. It's something to brag about, right? Yeah, yeah. And I just think, what are you, nuts? Like, four hours. <laughs> You're a crazy person. Your body needs to heal, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. And so if we know, if we know, Ralph, we read all the studies, we see all the information on we need, need, need more sleep. You're going to help me on this. What are some good meditation techniques to use to get to sleep and maybe to help us stay asleep? So for some people, a really good idea is a guided meditation. Okay. Right? There mm-hmm. are all kinds of guided meditations online and apps, Podbean, all these different uh, apps have meditations anywhere from five minutes to 15 to 20 minutes that are really made not for sitting up, but for lying down. Okay. And it can quiet the mind. And it's really, you know, they're very soothing voices and, and sometimes some ambient music, but very often it's just, just the voice itself. I have to admit that in my case, if I want to have a nap during the day, I can just put on a podcast and I'll be asleep in four minutes, even though I, I do them. I hope it's not my podcast, Ralph. <laughs> you, you know what? I, I, I actually try not to listen that much because I find voices make me very calm and tired, hmm. right? Yeah. So it, some people can, whatever it is that helps you to empty your mind a bit. You know, uh, I like to read when I'm about to go to sleep because it makes my eyes tired, but it also takes me off my day. Exactly. I'm not ruminating about what went well and what didn't go well and did I pay that bill and, you know, how come I never seem to have enough money, you know, to pay for the things we need. Like, that's not a good way to go to sleep. 
No. It's also for me not a good idea if you have a partner to have a very big conversation as you get into bed. Right. Or right. to go to bed angry. Right. You know, to un- unresolved. So for me, it, 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 if those conversations start, I tend to go, you know, we really shouldn't be talking about this right now. Like, well, you know, let's wait till we're awake during the day, not first thing in the morning, mm-hmm. but wait till we're awake in the day and put the time aside to go, let's talk about this thing. But to have a big conversation just before you go to bed, bad idea. To read a book that's interesting and, you know, makes you feel like you have a little time for you. You know, because often we're around people all day and our partner mm-hmm. and our families and, you know, work and, and all these things. Just a few minutes just for yourself or something you'd like to read and something that keeps you interested in, in either fiction or nonfiction. I tend to read a lot of nonfiction, but after about 15, 20 minutes, often my eyes are tired and I put the book down and... I just go to bed. And I have my family convinced that I go to sleep at nine. I go to bed at nine. <laughs> but right, I read right. for like a good hour, hour and a half. And it's almost that sleep preparedness, right, that we're talking about here. Like what calms you down? I know a lot of people probably don't read or have other ways, as you say, with music or podcasts or whatever. So it's, I guess it's sort of finding what works for you. Yeah, there's no one answer. But the idea for me is generally to make some space as a bridge from awake time to dream time. Yeah, and I think we all find our own way to it. I think the important thing, we're takeaway we're having here is to really allow yourself the time. Don't try to hit the pillow and, and fall asleep immediately. But what we do, this is a good segue, what we do want to do immediately is check out your website at ralphbenmurgy.ca. You're also on Twitter and Instagram at Not That Kind of Rabbi. And of course, your fantastic book, which I love so much this year. And you can find a podcast, which I did on that with you earlier in the season. So thanks for coming back on, Ralph. I really appreciated your chat today. My pleasure and uh, sweet dreams. You too. Thank you. Since 2007, sleep expert Alana McGinn has worked diligently to establish Good Night Sleep Site as the number one sleep resource for families. She and her team of sleep consultants are all about helping families from baby to adults and team members at corporations to overcome their sleep challenges and be well-rested in the morning. Good morning, Alana McGinn. Now, I think that you are someone I might not catch napping or might I? You know, I'm not a napper. I always wish I could be, but I just was never that unless, I mean, when I was pregnant, of course, we all nap when we're pregnant, but um, no, but I know many nappers out there. Yes. And today we're talking about the science of napping. And now my husband and my dad and a couple of my kids are big nappers and I've never been able to nap either. And I have to admit, sometimes I give them a hard time about it, but I really want to understand this because I see all the research that says it actually can be good for you. So my number one concern would be, does napping disrupt our nightly sleep? So this is where I get a lot of people ask me that. Should I take a nap? And I always say, if you are someone who sleep isn't really an issue, you don't struggle with sleep too much, you have a pretty healthy relationship with sleep, then to have a nap during the day isn't that big a deal. But if you are someone who is struggling with sleeping well at night, perhaps suffering from long-term insomnia, you know, having difficulty falling asleep or falling back asleep. Now, those would be the people that we would think need the naps during the day, mm-hmm. but those are the ones that we actually want to limit our daytime sleep. And the reason why that is is because 
if you're having trouble falling asleep at night, our main goal throughout the day is to build our drive for sleep throughout the day. Right. So when we're napping throughout the day, we're robbing that drive, right? It's like we're taking that gas out of the tank, the gas, the sleep gas, right? So we don't, for those that are struggling at sleep, those are the ones I recommend try not to sleep during the day. So you build up a strong enough drive for sleep throughout the day to sleep better at night. So do you have any quick tips on how like you're exhausted, the couch is calling you? What are the best things to do to sort of get out of that I need to nap state? The best things you can do is, you know, like get out in that natural light, mm-hmm. get out in that fresh air, immerse yourself in that natural light. That is really our body's biggest environmental cue to wake up to help set our 24-hour body clock. We all run off of a 24-hour body clock, and that 24 hours never shifts. Even when the clocks change, even when we go through time change and jet lag, our 24-hour clock stays as is. So the best way to keep it in sync, the best way to feel awake and alert when we need to feel awake and alert or sleepy when we need to feel sleepy is using our environmental factors. So things like getting in bright lights when we want to stay awake, um, and then dimming the lights and closing the blinds and making things nice and dark when we want to cue our melatonin and release that, that natural sleep hormone. So let's say, I mean, like I said, I know my husband does, he actually works at a company where he can go to a wellness room and nap and he's able to, I'm quite jealous of this. He's able to go in there, nap for 20 minutes and come out and he's like refreshed. Is there an ideal length of nap? What if he falls asleep for an hour? Should you set an alarm? Like what's the ideal length from what you've read? So one thing I will note is I love that his company's doing that. And more and more companies are incorporating like nap rooms Mm -hmm. or nap pods or stations where people can actually go and get that creative rest because it's a great way to kind of boost our memory, boost our creativity, our productivity. And you only need about 10 or 20 minutes just to boost your energy and alertness. So NASA actually did a study on sleep um, military pilots and astronauts and found that the perfect nap time is 26 minutes. 26 precisely. Okay. 26 minutes precisely. So this can improve performance by 34% and alertness by 100%. So when we look at a cycle, a sleep cycle for an adult, you're looking at about 90 to 110 minutes. What can happen is if we take too long of a nap, you know when sometimes you take a nap and you actually feel worse? Yeah. Well, you don't nap. But when you did nap. Yeah. <laughs> when I was pregnant. Actually, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You actually can feel worse when you wake up than when you originally went down for that nap. And a lot of people suffer from that. And what happens is you're waking up in what's called sleep inertia. It's like a sleep hangover. And you're waking up at the wrong time in a cycle of sleep. So if you're napping for about 30 or 60 minutes, you're waking up when you're in a deeper state of sleep, which is going to make you feel groggy and foggy when you wake up. So NASA study actually makes a lot of sense because a perfect nap time is anywhere between 10 to 20 minutes. Okay. This is when you're in that lighter state of sleep. So you're going to wake up, you're still going to feel re-energized, you're still going to feel super alert, you're going to get enough sleep in to, you know, heighten your productivity and your creativity, or you could take a full 90-minute nap. So this is a full cycle of naps, so you've cycled through all the stages of sleep, and you're waking up when you're you're feeling nice and, yeah. and rested. Like either that shorter, what we might call like cat nap, you know, the 10 to 20 exactly. minutes, or right to the 90 is sort of where we want to hit the range. Exactly. So we both just said we don't nap, but should you try? Are there circumstances where you should try to nap? And what if you can't and is just lying down for 20 minutes? Is that more satisfying, less satisfying? And you're like, I can't nap. Do you try? Well, exactly. Here's the thing. There's something to be said about resting. And Mm -hmm. resting, often we think resting is sleeping, and it's not. Um, And there's many different types and stages of rest, which we can definitely dive into. But just to get in some physical rest, so just quiet time, right, removing stimulations around you, um, whatever that might look like. That might just 
look like turning off uh, tech and social media. That might look like just kind of going into a quieter space and just, you know, uh, feeling more, you know, mindful and more present in that state of mind. That in itself can benefit an individual. If you're feeling, if you're showing a lot of excessive daytime sleepiness, and I'm talking like falling asleep at a red light, falling asleep Mm -hmm. in a meeting, like you cannot keep your eyes open. To me, that signals that sleep is getting lost somewhere at night. Mm -hmm. So why aren't you getting that quality of sleep at night? Because you shouldn't feel that tired throughout the day. So that's worth then having a conversation with your doctor who would then refer you to have a sleep study done to see if, are we dealing with something like sleep apnea? Is there some kind of sleep disorder that's happening at night that's not allowing us to feel better rested throughout the day? Right. So I mean, hopefully for listeners and if they're listening and say, well, I nap, maybe, you know, if you nap, it can be a good thing. If you nap, it can be a bad thing is what I'm getting from you in the sense that you sort of have to analyze your nighttime sleep is or your longest stretch of sleep. Maybe you work at night is your most important sleep to protect. Absolutely. And listen, if you're going to take a nap, I always say commit to that nap, Mm -hmm. like set up that environment and, and make it worth the while, you know. Just like we set up our sleep environment at night, darkening the room, right. quieting the room, creating that sleep-like sanctuary, you can do the same for nap time. I mean, I know it's a little hard if you're at work or something like that, but, you know, it could just be going in your car, putting on an eye mask, right? you know, putting the seat back and really commit and take that nap and take a great nap. Embrace the nap is what you're saying. Yes. Embrace. <laughs> I Embrace used to work with a nap. woman who used to sleep under her desk. That's a whole other story. That's probably not <laughs> recommended. Anyway, if we want more sleep tips, we can go to goodnightsleepsite.com. That's right. And on social media, you are at GN Sleep Site on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today, Alana. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. Nathan Eugene Carson's drawings and paintings have been featured in several solo and group exhibitions across Ontario since 2013. He is currently the RBC Artist-in-Residence at the Art Gallery of Hamilton, with a year-long exhibition titled Black Carnival through 2023. Stephanie Lupinacci has been working in the corporate social responsibility sector for over 15 years and has a breadth of experience in both the not-for-profit and profit sectors. She has a passion for giving back and has been a volunteer program facilitator and fundraiser. During the pandemic, many artists experienced a dramatic strain on their livelihoods, and the arts were one of the hardest-hit industries, with over $16 million lost in artists and production salaries. The arts are recovering now with support from Canadian companies like RBC. So I am welcoming Nathan Eugene Carson and Stephanie Lupinacci to the program. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Stephanie, can you walk us through what RBC Emerging Artist is and why RBC continues to support the arts? Yeah, absolutely. So RBC Emerging Artists is our commitment to the artistic community. And really, in order for us to ensure that artists remain a vibrant force in our communities, we feel that it's an important way to invest in in the artistic community by seeding it and fortifying it right as they're starting their own career. Um, And we really see that it's important that we do that through three different ways, through training, networking, and exposure opportunities, because those are the three key gaps that really help the artists get up and running um, to ensure that we've got strong, strong uh, infrastructure in order to ensure that culture remains uh, strong and fortified. Um, We continue to invest in the arts because um, not only does it represent $53 billion in the Canadian economy and mm-hmm. over 700,000 jobs, um, 
it really uh, generates uh, social impact. And we know that um, cities with a vibrant art community have high civic engagement, more social cohesion, better child welfare and lower poverty rates. Um, you know, build strong economies uh, by uh, providing face-to-face interactions. Um, not only that, but it captures our history, so it preserves our culture and our autobiography all in one. Um, it fosters creativity and innovation, um, which is an essential skill within the arts realm and is a key differentiator, especially in the business world. Um, and it's an expressive form of communication. It's a medium that can express ideas and share information openly and easily. And my favorite, favorite reason is that it continues to be transcendent. So the arts itself allows people to express their values, connect their cultures, and really brings us together regardless of our ethnicity, religion, politics, age, you know, X, Y, and Z. Uh, we can all go out and enjoy a piece of work or a performance as uh, humans right. and really identify it within the human experience. So we've heard a little bit about the program from Stephanie. Um, Nathan, I'd love to hear your perspective. Can you tell us how you became part of the program and what it has meant for your career as an artist? I became part of the program because, uh, well, I've been working with RBC for quite a few years on many different levels, from starting banking right through to getting to know their art department. And then most recently, um, I'm doing an RBC Artists in Residence at the Art Gallery of Mm -hmm. Hamilton. So it was just like... uh, the stars all connected and aligned to um, be offered to be in this great program. And um, what it's done for my career, it's, well, it's a blessing, really, uh, because it, it, it does, like uh, previously stated, like it's helping me with training, mm-hmm. like practicing painting more. Exposure is opening my, my art up to a whole new audience. Uh, gets to view it and see it on a daily basis and networking I'm meeting so many other great artists and other people in the field of the arts. That's amazing and Stephanie back to you I understand you have some new programs launching this month can you give us a quick preview of these and how they will impact the Canadian art community? Yeah, absolutely, and so happy to be able to do that here. So in a few short weeks, we will be launching um, something that we're uh, calling Arts Rising, um, and it's a new initiative really designed to enhance support of emerging visual artists as we help to bridge that gap from emerging to established. And really, the program itself will work to amplify Canadian artists' profile by providing funds to our galleries that we work with to acquire their artwork into the, the localized galleries, and then in addition, provide subsidies to artists in order so this way they can continue to work and focus on their, their talents and stay in studio so this way they don't have to go and seek out other funding and, and attain other jobs. We recognize that there's many of the artists have struggled during the pandemic and this is our way to really help to uh, continue to strengthen uh, the artistic industry and really help them to uh, get a leg up and uh, recover post-COVID. I mean, this is amazing. We could talk about this forever, but we're going to direct our listeners to rbc.com slash emerging artists. And of course, I'm going to direct our listeners to Nathan Eugene Carson's website at nathaneugenecarson.ca so we can uh, see what you've been creating, Nathan, over the past little while. Thank you both so much for coming on the program today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. I love sleep. My life has the tendency to fall apart when I'm awake, you know? Ernest Hemingway. Oh, we know, Ernest, we know. Thanks to Ralph and Alana for helping us to find our best sleep state, be it through the night or during the day. I bet you learned something to comfort you as we pillowed through. 
I'm sorry about that. I recently learned that most Gen Z and some millennials never sleep with a top sheet. The only time I didn't want a top sheet was when I was going through some pretty wicked hot flashes. All this for a pretty awkward and one might say messy segue for next week's show. Author Ann Douglas has written 26 books, 26, and her latest is called Navigating the Messy Middle. Anne interviewed over 100 women to wade through the midlife experience, and we are going to have an in-depth chat about that next week. What is a midlife crisis? Does it actually exist? I ask her that point blank. And it's World Sight Day on October 13th, and I'm going to be talking with an ophthalmologist about cataracts. Do you know what they are and what to look out for? Important information about how we can protect our vision as we age. Thanks for dropping in again this morning. I hope you found some fun and facts in the show, as is my vision and mission. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you've been listening to Go To Grandma. Enjoy your grand journey. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Twitter at Kathy Buckworth or email her, Kathy at KathyBuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.